Good morning, beloved Orangewood. I hope everybody's well this morning. If you will turn with me in your Bible to 2 Peter, it's in the back of the Bible, this little letter that the Apostle Peter has written. Uh, we're going to be here for three weeks. This is the second of three uh, in this little short sermon series. And it's grace for living. I know that if you've gone around this world at least once uh, for one day, you realize it's hard. And my, oh my, do we need God's grace every moment. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy on me in a, in a sin-torn world. Well, this little letter is going to show us that God just pours out upon us his mercy and his grace. Grace for living. Uh, today we're going to look at the fact that we need grace to stand in the midst of a world filled with false messages, filled with false hope, filled with false teachers. And God's word is going to tell us everything we need to live and to really thrive in Christ Jesus. It was the summer of 2003, and Katie and I had one of those uh, once-in-a-lifetime trips. Just the two of us were able to go to Germany and to Austria for about nine or ten days just together. Wow, it was an incredible time um, seeing part of God's beautiful creation. But as we landed in Munich, it was uh, a long flight. I don't know about you. I hate flying long flights. I don't fit in any seat and where you can pay for uh, to fly overseas. And by the time we arrive, I'm pretty miserable, not feeling very good, uh, not to mention the jet lag. So the first thing we do is we get out of the airport, we collect our things, and we rented a car. I, I guess they called it a car. It looked like a matchbox, you know? You walk to your little thing about this big and think, can I fit in it? Forget my luggage. I mean, what do I got? What kind of gymnastics do I got to do to get into that thing? But somehow we, we fit in and uh, we started our trek. It was a gray, a gray rainy day. It's one of those days that was just drizzly all day long. One of those days that the clouds just seemed so steely gray and ominous. And the first stop on our vacation together was Dachau, the concentration camp. Let me just tell you, that's not a good idea. I mean, you just come out from jet lag. I mean, you're just trying to figure out your bearings. It's rainy, it's drizzly, it's gray. And the first thing you do is go to a concentration camp. Now, I want to tell you, I'm really glad I went. And I'm incredible for the experience to, to go and see firsthand the, the horrific nature of how can humans treat each other this way. I mean, the things that we read about and heard about, and you could, you could see it kind of firsthand. If you listen closely, you could hear it. But as you walk through the gates of Dachau, it's a very interesting a little thing that you'll see. And it's this. It says, work means freedom. Work means freedom. What a lie. I mean, what false hope. I mean, as they entered into those gates, they realized that, that work meant death. And everything they wanted to bring was death and destruction. Certainly nothing to do with freedom. What they delivered was bondage, death, and hell. Second Peter is going to tell us that there are false prophets and, and teachers who are, who are going to promise us as well freedom. They're going to say, listen, you long for it. You want it. And everything you want can be found in this. Everything you could be found, uh, the freedom you long for could be here, apart from Christ Jesus, or in addition to Christ Jesus. 
Basically saying this, and it's, a, it's like marketing genius. It's always been this way. These false prophets, these false teachers, they're going to entice us. They're going to lure us by everything that we're attracted to. And they're going to try to drive us away from what really offers true freedom. You got to understand this, is that Second Peter was written primarily to you, the church. Primarily to you, those who believed. Primarily to those who had a knowledge of, of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And yet, even us, even those who have experienced what Christ has done, are, are so prone to be drawn away that what the world will offer and says, this will really set you free. God's word will remind us that those who offer freedom apart from Christ, well, they themselves are slaves of incorruption. They're trying to sell something they don't even have. True charlatans. As I look through this passage, and I think about my beloved congregation, and I even look in the mirror and see my life, I say, it seems like we all are longing for freedom. It seems like we're all in pursuit of, of that next thing that will, will really set us free or that next thing that will really give us life. Maybe it's a station in life like marriage or having a child or, or retirement or maybe it's the next rung of pursuit of, of financial success or power. We're always in pursuit of freedom. And oftentimes we find ourselves willing to pay anything to get it willing to sacrifice about anything we have to, to truly find something that will set us free. In the midst of all of that, God's word is going to tell us through the apostle Peter that God has given us everything we need to stand. That beware, beware of those false teachers. Beware of their message. They promise life. They promise to set you free. But they really are a concentration camp of death. Let's look to God's word and look to see the reality that God and God alone can, can set us free through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. We're going to look at 2 Peter uh, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, then we're going to skip to 17 through 22 as we try to look at this incredible text of God. Let's hear God's word, although it was written a long time ago uh, in a different setting than this. Because these are God's actual words that were breathed into Peter. They're for you and they're for me. And they're for a time like this. Let us hear God's word. Second Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master, denying Jesus who bought them, remember, bought them with his blood, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Let's hit pause here. He's basically saying, okay, watch out. There are going to be these false teachers, these false prophets. They're going to deny even Jesus as master. They're going to try to pollute the way. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And he's going to remind us that, hey, their destruction is coming. And, and, and although it seems like they're prospering now, don't forget, God will judge them. 
and he'll preserve the righteous. That's what he goes on to describe in 4 through 16. He reminds us of angels who will be judged. He reminds us that, that Noah was saved during the flood and, and the uh, unrighteous were, were punished. He reminds us of Lot being saved and Sodom and Gomorrah being punished. And he tells us more about these false teachers. So let's pick up in verse 17. These are false teachers and prophets. They're waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a fishing tour, a, a, a word to lure. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Let's let that sit in for a minute. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled or, or trapped in a web in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Interesting commandment there is singular, probably talking about all of God's word, basically saying for those who know better shouldn't live this way. What the true proverb says has happened to them The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow or the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let us pray. Father God, we live in a world that everywhere we turn promises us life and freedom apart from you. And God, I confess that everything in my flesh, everything in my human nature is drawn to that message. And oh, what a contrast is the gospel of Jesus Christ that reminds us over and over again that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Jesus alone can we ever experience true freedom and true life, and true power. And yet we see a letter written to the church like ours who who is so prone to wander to the marketing messages of the day saying, here's where you're going to find it. And God, I know one thing clear this morning that I desperately need to hear and live and embrace this message that you have for us in Christ Jesus. So God, would you come and would you speak? And would you speak through a broken sinner like me who finds himself so much like this congregation, sojourning, longing for freedom and life? So God, give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts that would embrace your truth, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are, that are wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. 
and the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is enticed by false freedom. I mean, false prophets and false teachers have emerged, and it's always been that way. If you read through God's Word, you'll see in places like Deuteronomy 13 in the Old Testament, where there's a warning about false teachers. And even Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 24, is going to say that we will find in our midst false Christ, false teachers, false prophets, those who, who tell us the way to go, but they're lying to us. And what they promise is this, what we long for. They're, they're so good at marketing. They promise freedom in life, but it's something they don't even possess. Chapter 2, listen, says they're charlatans. Watch out, they're, they're greedy for personal gain. And what they do, it's so crafting. They, they come alongside sound teaching. They, they, they want to have a little bit of the Bible. They want to have a little bit of the truth. They want to make it sound good to you, especially you, those of you who are believers, and say, well, here's, here's really the way to live. And they secretly bring in destruct, destructive heresies. And they deny even Jesus as the way. What does the word of God describe them as? Interesting. Waterless springs. In an arid place, in a place like the desert, a waterless spring was, was like the worst. Because it promised hope. I mean, it promised quenching your thirst. It promised to, to sustain you. And yet, in reality, uh, there was nothing there. They're, they're missed driving by the storm, driven by the storm, basically a longing for refreshment, but they never deliver. They're just driven away and out of place. This is what they are. It says that they are basically false teachers who, who are slaves of corruption and want to enslave us as well. And how do they do it? Well, <laughs> they entice us. They lure us. They dangle the world in front of us. They show everything that you and I crave in our flesh, you know? I mean, those things, those sensual things that we all long for, and those things, uh, those things that look good and feel good and smell good and, and taste good that we, we think might give us life. I mean, it's a fishing tour term. And I love the fact that Peter, the fisherman's using it. And he's basically saying, watch out, because they'll entice you, uh, lure you into a false freedom. Uh, saying that this will set you free, and really all it will do is enslave you. They'll basically say, even use the gospel. Have you heard this? Hey, Christian, you know you're forgiven. Hey, Christian, let me tell you something. Your sins are paid for. And you know, in Christianity, here's a beautiful thing, that if you are Jesus's, you will never be lost. You'll never be driven away. So you know what? It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter about your addictions. It doesn't matter about not striving for holiness. It doesn't matter about the things in your life. Listen, you're okay. You're okay, so, so just go for it. And just give in to it. I mean, just, if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, take it. You're his and you're forgiven. Holiness doesn't really matter. Have you heard that message? Does that message entice you? It certainly is me. It's just taking the truth of the gospel, and it is true. Listen, it is true that in Christ Jesus, you're forgiven, and I am too. 
In Christ Jesus, uh, we will never be separated from the love of God. Isn't that good news? I mean, in Christ Jesus, none of our sins will ever condemn us and drive us away from holy God's ultimate presence. But every one of our sins drive us away from communion with him. God longs for you to be like Christ. God longs for you to be holy. God longs for you and me, for our lives to be distinctly different than the world. And one of the enticements is saying, it doesn't really matter because, you know, all you got to do is say a quick prayer and you'll be forgiven. And just keep on living in that habitual lifestyle of sin. Remember, a mark of God's grace in our lives is a mark, the reality is that, that we long for holiness. Is God in your life? If God is in your life, you will have peace. If God is in your life, you will have grace. And if God is in your life in Christ Jesus, you will want to be like him. Now, here's the reality. None of us are. And all of us fall, right? And all of us fail. But, but this, this luring and this enticing is basically wants to say, here, you got this gospel get out of free card, so just keep going in and out of jail. Keep going in and out of your, your, your secret favorite stuff. You got it. Just go. And you say, no, 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 that's a false teaching. God wants to offer you freedom, and that is actually enslaving you. You know, part of my life uh, journey, uh, right out of college, I took a job in New York City. And I'm so grateful for that season in my life for many reasons. I graduated from the Harvard of the South, Florida Southern, uh, married Katie right out of college, a Winter Park girl. Although I'm an upstate uh, New York boy, we moved into New Jersey, and I worked in Midtown Manhattan. I mean, it was a whole nother world. I mean, again, you just start uh, a life together, you start a marriage together, and, and you know, things like taking a train to work every day and, and things like wearing a suit every day and, and walking into the Big Apple. I mean, I got to tell you, it was kind of cool. As a 21-year-old recently married kid, uh, I thought I had the world by the tail. And even this summer, when we took Allie, our, our youngest, who just turned 18, on her 18th birthday to New York City, I was able to say, now this is a corner I worked on. And look right down there, you can see the Empire State Building. It was right down the street. It was really kind of cool thing. Well, you know, I kind of fell out of place as well because I was working with a lot of like seasoned New Yorkers. You know, seasoned New Yorkers usually know how to navigate New York without getting fooled. But there was one girl who, although she was a seasoned New Yorker, got fooled. I'll never forget it. She'd, she'd taken the, the, the train in and caught a subway to work, and, and here comes the story. Some guy opens up his case and says, hey, listen, I, I got this. I think it was an entry machine. And back then, we actually wanted those things. Um, I got this entry machine, showed her the box. I got, you know, I kind of got to get rid of it and kind of made it sound like it's hot. And hey, 40 bucks and it's yours. She's like, no, thank you. And as the train continues, he's like, oh, listen, I'm getting off the next stop. This is the last chance. 20 bucks. You want it or not? Okay, I'll take it for 20 bucks. Gives him 20 bucks, takes the box, walks back to the office, has her entry machine, leaves it on there all day. Says, well, I'll check out my new, uh, my new entry machine. Opens up the box and she just bought a $20 brick. I mean, everything else was in there except for, I mean, it wrapped in everything. It looked like it, but it was just a brick. I mean, it advertised and enticed her in one way, but absolutely offered her nothing. And that's the reality of what the world offers us apart from Christ. It's going to wrap itself to look like it's going to something we want. And it's going to smell and feel like it and say, hey, this is what you really need. But deep down, all we get 
is a brick. Again, when I come to this passage and I, I think about my life, and I think about your life, the one thing I could say about it seemingly Orangewood and those around us, we all seem to be pursuing freedom. Investing our lives in what we believe will set us free. For some, it might be alcohol and drugs, the freedom of escape. For some, it might be sex and porn. For some, it might be materialism. I mean, just that next buy, just that, that next thing. It's, it's funny because for me, when it comes to uh, materialistic things, I want to say, I, I, I got complete control over it. Oh, it's not bad. But when I like something, I like something. The latest for me, Columbia shirts. You could be my size and wear a Columbia shirt. You know what they say? It'll make you want to go outside. <laughs> Who wants to go outside right now? And I'm telling you what, when you're, when you're kind of a bigger guy, you don't like going outside in days like today. You know, your deodorant might break down. It might cause a scene. The Columbia shirts, man, they got this wicking quality. It's like phenomenal. And I can tell you which Columbia shirts, like if you order this one in double extra large, it doesn't run true to size. It's actually too tight and you'll get upset with it. But there's certain brands that have it all. And so what do I do? I wait till they're on sale, justify it. Katie will say, how many Columbia shirts are enough? And I want to say, just one more, you know. <laughs> and you know you have a problem when you're doing these things and you don't want anybody else to know them. Like, like you're ordering it at night, saying, oh, man, I just hope Katie doesn't look at the iPad here tonight because uh, she'll see I'm ordering another Columbia shirt. And then you're kind of hoping, like, oh, what day is she working? What day? I hope it delivers on that day, you know. So I won't be caught, you know. And then, sure enough, God is grace will let a package say, Jeff! Columbia delivered today. What's the matter with you? And it's not just Columbia. And again, I, I want you to know that I'm enticed by materialism and good things. And good things aren't a bad thing, but as Jim Cofield said several weeks ago, that when, when good things become ultimate things, when they become our ultimate pursuit, and that's what the world wants to do, is to say basically, listen, you deserve the finer things. You deserve the, the, big, the, the, the nicer things. And again, they're not necessarily bad. But they could take our eyes off of Jesus. And they, they could become really a false god to us. They could become a, a, an idol. They can offer freedom. What about power and position? I was driving down I-4 yesterday and with my son, and uh, you know, he he too loves beautiful cars, and he he saw a Maserati. He's like, "Oh, Dad, Maserati! You know, they they got a Ferrari engine, and you know, they've come out with one that's that's really a low end Maserati. It's only like seventy, eighty thousand dollars. Man, that's a bargain, right? Maybe we should get two. And uh, um, but the reality is, is is I I knew what it was like being 21 or two years old, driving a German car, uh, feeling like somehow uh, a, a fancy car has made me val uh, val uh, val validated, easy for me to say, my own life. 
It kind of made me feel, you know, there was times I got in a certain car that made me feel better than you in a worse car. You know, there's times that I would actually be on the highway and look down on those who, who had dings and dents and, and those poor pastors who were driving down the street or whatever. Um, and the reality is, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be enticed and to say, you know, this will really ultimately provide you freedom. And it doesn't. Power and position. Is that something the world's luring you? Saying, here, you know what? To really be free is this next promotion. To be really free is this position. I mean, to really be free, you got to have this status. And i got to tell you, I've even seen it in religion. <laughs> it's almost like uh, here we all are who have been set by, free by the love of Christ, that we long for the next uh, conference or the next uh, teaching or the next awakening, that somehow that will provide us the freedom that we long for. Now, let me make sure I'm clear on this. I think that if you're a Christian, keep growing. I mean, this is the whole point of Second Peter. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And anything that you could do to love Jesus more, do it. And anything you could do to, to grow in your love and, and, and understanding of Jesus, do it. Do it on your own. Feed. Learn to feed yourself. Do it in community, in a community group. Uh, do it. I mean, you should do those things. But if you're just in pursuit of that next little religious fix that will get you high for a little bit and set you free for a little bit to take you away from the reality of, of who you are right now, be careful of. Because we as Christians live in this amazing tension that right now we are forgiven and free, but right now we are broken and longing and needy. And, and although we could stand in God's presence as declared not guilty, we're not home yet. And he's not finished his work with us yet. And sometimes I think even for Christians, we get so focused on what we're not that we lose sight of who he is. And when we get so focused on what we're not and we lose sight on who he is, we start wanting to add the next thing that will set us free. Does that make sense? You got to be careful. It's only in Christ Jesus. Only he can set us free. Let me ask you this question. What is enticing you to false freedom? What, what, is, what is being dangled in front of you uh, and, and everything of your, your, your flesh? I mean, what, what is it? that's enticing you. We all are fight, facing that battle. The second thing is this, entangled in the pursuit of false freedom. Because once you're enticed and you move that direction, guess what's coming? You're getting entangled. One of the things we do when we are on vacation in our family and we travel, we traveled so many miles this summer, we listen to, to, to books. And nowadays you can download them on your iPad or Kindle or phone or whatever and audio books and you know, you can listen to them. It's, it's awesome. Great way of, of passing the miles. And our favorite book this summer was a book called Fearless. Anybody read it? I mean, Fearless is a true story of Navy SEAL Team 6 member Adam Brown. And Adam Brown's life story, you got to read it. I'll try not to steal the punchline. It's an incredible story of a, a kid who basically grows up in Arkansas, pretty blue-collar kid that is going to make his way to the elite of the elite of the Navy SEALs and what he has to overcome, an eye injury and learning how to how shoot with the other eye and what he has to overcome of crushed hand in Iraq and having to do everything with his off hand was absolutely incredible. But what intrigued me was Adam should not have even been allowed in the military because of his drug addiction. 
He just slipped in because of who he knew. And as he got into the, into the military, into the Navy, and, and married an incredible woman, and God blessed him with a couple of kids, and incredible story of a man of God. But what was so telling to me was this. He never lost the addiction and the drive. And although he had overcome so much, and although that by God's grace, he'd been set free from so much, he longed for the crack cocaine. Even as a SEAL team member, six, he still longed for the addictions of this world. I bet many of us can relate to that. But he realizes you see it in somebody else and say, man, that's, that's so enslaving. Quit being that dog that returns to your vomit, man. That stuff's vomit. What are you doing? Going back to the vomit. How in the world have you been washed? I mean, you're like a pig that wants to go back into the muck and the mire. Quit it. Stop it. Well, you see, we're told in Peter uh, and throughout the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the power to it to escape from the defilements of this world through our knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has actually untangled us from the world, right? And he's presented us to Christ Jesus. Why in the world will we go back into the web that God has untangled us from? And yet we know that Ephesians, or Hebrews 12, 1 is true. The sin that so easily entangles us. We run away. In Christ Jesus, we have escaped the defilements of the world. Why in the world are we so prone to return to our vomit and filth? That's what the world offers. Let me ask you this. What are you entangled in in pursuit of? What's entangling you? I mean, there's some besetting sins in all of us that continue to entangle us. And as a pastor, I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. It's not going to be that entanglement. But as a pastor, I also want to point you back to the gospel and say, continue to turn to Jesus to set you free. For some, it may be, go, you got to get help. I mean, if you're trying to untangle yourself in certain sins by yourself, you'll never do it. You're going to have to have others that know your story, that ride shotguns. And point you to Christ. And lastly, enslaved in true freedom. I love this. It says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, enslaved in true freedom. You ready for this? Enslaved in true freedom is being enslaved in Christ Jesus. It's being overcome with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Overcome of God's love for you and me. That he demonstrate that by sending Christ to come die for us overcome with the reality that Jesus lived the life you should have, died the death that you and I deserve, overcome with who he is and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being more and more enslaved for him. Let me read you a couple passages. John eight thirty six. So if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You want know freedom? Freedom is going to be found in one. Its name is Jesus Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He set you free from that. Don't turn back into a lifestyle apart from him. Everything, I promise you, everything that we are looking for, everything that we long for, we have found in Christ Jesus. 
and the freedoms that we crave if we ask for God's grace and the knowledge of him, we find true freedom in life. We're freed from the penalty, it says, of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. And here's the bottom line. In Christ Jesus, ready? You and I are freed to live the life God intended us to live. That's true freedom. He's freeing us to live enslaved to Christ. And enslaved to Christ, we find hope. See, Dachau's gates, when you walk through Dachau's gates, they promise a false freedom for those who walk through. Work means freedom. The gospel of Jesus Christ says Jesus means freedom. His work, his righteous work, fulfilling the law, his death as a sacrifice for our unrighteousness, his victory over death and the grave, that is freedom. And when you realize your life is that concentration camp of sin and the king of glory has come and blown to hell those gates, and says, I'm going to come and take the captives and set them free. And set them free through my blood, death, and conquering even death through resurrection. This table is a tangible reminder of the freedom we have in Christ. We can feel it and we can even taste it. It's for those of us who are being enticed by a world that wants to draw us away. Or enslaved and entangled and, and sin. And he wants to say, I want to give you the power. I want to give you the picture of, of, of what it means to truly be free in Christ Jesus. May God come and feed our souls and set us free. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the true, true freedom that we long for, we find in Christ Jesus. And God, forgive this preacher and forgive this congregation for the numerous ways we try to find freedom in what the world has to offer apart from you. God, uh, we confess how easily we are enticed and entangled. And would you, for your glory, show us again, Jesus. And may we all be enslaved to him and truly be set free. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.